With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I will get to your calls in just a second. Pelly has written on the chat box saying, take them on and keep fighting. Chris, the people deserve to know the truth, not what the government only want us to know. That is the intention, Pelly. Thank you very much. As for that other very large election this year, and I don't mean the United States presidential election, I'm talking about the election in the UK, the Conservatives are heading for an election wipeout on the scale of their 1997 defeat by Labor, according to the most authoritative opinion poll in five years has predicted. The YouGov survey of 14,000 people forecast that the Tories will retain just 169 seats, while Labor will sweep to power with 385, giving Sir Keir Starmer a 120-seat majority. That is a wipeout. So they should all start looking for new jobs. Siv, welcome to the program again. G'day, Chris. Yeah, well, that's interesting you say that. I. Yeah, with some of the minor party uh, candidates, I, I wonder if they're going to make a bit of bit of hay out of all of that. Particularly those those conservatives who will be wiped out. Will they all go minor party, or will they just get out of politics altogether? I guess it depends on which ones you're talking about. Probably oh, Boris Johnson. They've might been end up see. They've been in party. power for so long. They've been in power for so long. A lot of them will retire and move on uh, completely. I think separate. that's probably right. I think that's probably right. Look, I just wanted to go back to that ongoing theme of COVID, because I spotted another one of these over the weekend. Can't believe it. They're, they're all coming out. So on the one hand, we're hearing, oh, quick, COVID's going to be a bit of a problem. But then it's not so much of a problem now because, you know, hey, we've got some immunity and all the rest of it. You know, we, we've, we're protected. But still, you know, you need, to, you need to be aware of it and all the rest of it. Then we've got something else that's come out over the weekends, over the weekend, that said, uh, look, you know, maybe some of those really harsh things we did actually saved lives. So which one is it, guys? Is it that much of a problem that we've got to be careful and we've got to lock ourselves away as soon as a new outbreak happens? Or is it something that we can be aware of, not be too alarmed about? Or, um, yeah, so which so which one is it? Which You can't yeah. have it both ways, you people. <laughs> no, you can't have it both ways, but they are having it both ways, Siv, and I just wonder they whether are. they believe their message anymore. I doubt whether there are too many politicians around who are willing to do what they did during the pandemic ever again I because of the fact I... that they, be they beat this up like a terrible tabloid journalist. They did, and, and, and if any government were to go down that path again of lockdowns, that would be worse than political su suicide. I mean, if you thought... Let's look at Australia, for instance. If you thought Mr Albanese was, would be crestfallen over the... or so crestfallen over that defeat of The Voice, he'd be even more crestfallen if he were to say, well, we're going to start one of these uh, big federal lockdowns all over again because people wouldn't buy it anymore. They'd be saying, well, what are you doing? I mean, you did this to us before. didn't quite work out. The mental ramifications for this, particularly for, for young people, are, uh, are worse than the actual cure of it, which is saving lives. So we don't want to go down this path. I, I think these people turning to the climate change mob. Oh, it's yeah, too hot. I, yes, think it's I think the climate change mob and the COVID scaremongers are of the same group. They are. 
I think they are. So, oh, it's too hot, quick, you know, climate change, bad, naughty humans. It's too cold. Oh, my God, climate change, naughty humans. COVID, I can't believe it. It's, 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 it's a disease, it's a problem. Oh, no, it's not. So you can't have it both ways, you guys. Which one is it? And if you're going to keep on with these silly little messages, people are just going to ignore you like I yeah. will be now. Good to talk to you, Chris. Good on you, Steve. Great, uh, great words of wisdom there. Yeah, they are. They're tuning out. They're absolutely tuning out. And have a look at the booster take-up in most Western countries now. They have dead set made a stand. We won't be bullied into this program again. We won't be going down that track. We'll take our chances. We'll do our best, but we've got to get on with life. That's exactly what they're doing. Rita has sent me a lovely little email um, late last night. Rita said, your interview with Tom Harris. Now, Tom Harris was on late last week, and he was the man from the International Climate Science Coalition. Uh, he sa She says, your interview with Tom Harris was as fantastic as your interview with Patrick Moore. Patrick Moore is a fellow I have on quite often. Patrick, if you don't know, was the co-founder of Greenpeace, and he's also part of the same coalition. It was great that he actually listened to that earlier interview. Yeah, Tom Harris actually heard um, the Patrick Moore interview prior to coming onto the program. And then she says, I would love to hear Michael Smith on your show to comment on all of these things. He was on his website that I learned about your TNT gig, and he always gives Jason Morrison a plug when he is filling in at various places as well, fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, well, Michael, Michael's got an open invitation. And look, I know he often listens to the program. If you are listening to me, Michael Smith, you are still very much invited to come on this program. He's a great fella. Thank you, Rita. Appreciate your ideas and also your uh, kind comments about those interviews. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Thank you, Tom. Tom has had something to say on the chat box. Certainly the reporters reporting the news don't believe what they're reporting, but they have to by their superiors. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, authoritarian orders that come down from above when you work in a mainstream media organisation. I've been there. I've done it. I know how it works in all forms of the media, not just in radio, but also in television. That's how it works. There are certain things that you keep away from, so they tell you, and there are certain things that you steer clear of at the behest of those running the newsroom. That's just the way it goes. Now, it's been a while since I've had this gentleman on our program. He is an Indigenous leader and businessman. Uh, he was very, very forthright and right out front when it came to campaigning for the no vote in the voice referendum in Australia. He's a former Labor Party president. His name is Warren Mundine. Warren, Happy New Year to you, sir. Yeah, happy uh, 2024. It's going to be a great year, but, gee, I don't think I've been called a gentleman before, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there would have been a lot of people on the yes vote that would, would have called you a lot of things but a gentleman. I tell you what, <laughs> just in hindsight, when you look back at how feisty, uh, how personal it got, to a certain degree, the yes campaign is played right into your hands, didn't they? Oh, oh of course. Uh, you know, we were out there campaigning for the Australian people and, and the Australian people are a great bunch. You know, we've got a great nation here and, 
And uh, we, we, we didn't abuse people. We didn't attack people. We just talked about the facts and, yep. and the opinions and everything that we thought. Uh, that, they got very vitriolic, uh, you know, probably about February onwards uh, in the October, and they were just attack and attack and calling people names and abusing them. And, and you know, and uh, look, I, I would have preferred them not to do that, but the re- reality is they did, and it did fall in our lap. Yep, they turned so many people off because of that kind of um, that that kind of approach, that attitude. The attitude just stunk. Now, I'm taking you to the Middle East now. Hamas is now saying that many of the hostages are likely dead. Um, that's of course so they can blame Israel, and maybe there's truth on both sides here that the Israeli bombing has taken, you know, a number of hostages and no doubt the hostages have been mistreated as some who have um, been released have revealed. So maybe the truth is somewhere in between. But I just keep thinking we don't talk about the hostages enough, Warren, but how dare they keep these people in harm's way for now 100 days? Well, look, there would be no war. You know, anything that comes out of Hamas's mouth, you've got to take it with a, you know, a ton of salt <laughs> to let it go down. Look, none of this would be happening. There would be no hostages. There would be no October the 7th if Hamas didn't break the truce. There was a two-year truce in, in place. Uh, they broke it by invading southern uh, Israel and did the most horrific uh, atrocities that we haven't seen since Rwanda, we haven't seen since ISIS, you know, this dreadful way they treated uh, human beings. You know, I just can't believe that other human beings would do this to other human beings. Uh, But unfortunately, that's the fact of history. We saw it in the Second World War and now we've seen it since. You know, so look, uh, there would be no dead hostages if, first of all, Hamas did not invade and take them as hostages. That's a war crime in the first place. Mm. The second place, is they could have released them. They should have released them instead of playing games with them. Yeah, yeah, instead of using them as pawns. Um, I notice that Australia's foreign minister uh, is visiting the site. Well, she's refusing to visit the site of the October 7 atrocity. She's meeting with the families of some of the hostages and some of those who were victims of those atrocities. But, you know, wasn't it atrocious enough? She can't go to the sites? Oh, it's a terrible, and it's, and it's not only a slap in the face to the Israelis, it is to Australians, too, because Australians were caught up in that whole October the 7th mess. And, and, and there's people in, from America and Thailand and Tanzania and other places that were caught up in it, yeah. as well as the Israeli people and the Jews who got caught up in the whole mess. I think it is a dreadful move by her. It's very insulting. You know, the, the horrible things... That happened there, uh, you know. I just cannot believe that she uh, she is not going to go there and show her respect to the people who were who were killed, to the people who had all those terrible things done to them, and to the hostages, and also to raise the issue about peace. Now, I just cannot believe that she didn't. She's not going to do it, uh, and it's an insult to Australians just as much as it is to uh, Israel.
Yeah, I noticed in a press conference this morning, Anthony Albanese was not in agreement with what she did, but he wasn't against her. I have a feeling there could be a little uh, uneasy, uh, an uneasy truce on this behind the scenes. Now, just on Hamas, I was noticing on your uh, X feed that uh, you discovered that there's a Hamas office in Cape Town, South Africa. Surely not. Oh, there is. <laughs> I just cannot believe it. It acts like an, an embassy. Uh, I, I only come across it, uh, you know, a few days ago. Uh, when I first heard it, I said, you've got to be kidding. Oh, but then we researched it and had a look at it. And then, then it sort of starts to fall in place why they're taking uh, the Israeli uh, government to uh, yeah. to the uh, International Criminal Court and why no one is actually taking uh, Hamas and is Islamic Jihad and all those other Iranian cronies who have been doing dreadful things uh, over the last few years. Yeah, you can't have one before a court and not the other, like surely. And if you're running and you're prepared to allow a Hamas office operate out of Cape Town, um, you're you're going after the throat of the Israelis. You're not going after Hamas. Um, I want to come closer to home to Australia. What the hell is the Australian government doing to to close the gap? in Indigenous communities. As soon as the referendum was over, they went into a cocoon. The only uh, people that came out with some logical suggestions uh, was people like yourself and Jacinta Price and and things about trying to clean up some remote communities. The only thing I have seen, to be fair, is some very, very basic plan about home ownership. But apart from that, absolute silence. Yeah, well, that, that you're right. You know, that, that they didn't only just get in the con- cocoon they got into a fetal position and laid there and then the second and probably the worst part of that was uh the way when he was asked the question about uh you know you know uh, what are they going to be about the voice and said uh, you know is you know did that did it affect him did he take that on board and he said no 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 it didn't it's not me it's only aboriginal people well we'll talk about you know, I called him a scumbag. I said because oh. he, he talked about throwing people under the bus. Oh. You know, he was front and centre in that leadership. He should. You know, this is the problem with this government. This government has shown no leadership. Uh, they uh, every time something comes up, they oh, don't look here, don't look here. You know, as Scott Morrison or someone else is doing all this stuff. Well, they spent you know between four hundred to four hundred and fifty million dollars, and how much of that money could have been there to help Aboriginal people. Uh, go to school, yeah. deal with deal with the violence in those communities, and get jobs. And and then he then he, he just made it worse by his comment. I, I couldn't agree more. I I, I found I he, they he put them under the bus. And and if you go back, Warren, to be and I I hate to be very. Um, you know, right after the event, but I'm not. I said this at the very beginning. The whole idea that Labor had whereby they would have an unsolved model of a voice and expect the Australian people to accept it and then have the cynicism to combine the voice question with the uh, mention within the Constitution and you couldn't have one and not the other was too smart by half and that, to me, Put the Aboriginal people under a bus right at the very beginning. Oh, there's no doubt about that. You know, but even in our polling that we did, you know, it was in the 90s uh, that uh, Australians did want to recognise Aboriginal people in the Constitution as the first people. What they didn't want was a voice because no one knew what the voice was. Yeah. I knew people who wanted to vote for the voice, but they weren't going to, you know, do it blindly. They wanted details about it. 
and they and they they'd said not to, they didn't vote for for it at all. This is the thing they took Australians for mugs. Yeah. They spent our tax dollars. They could have spent bet money better. The only really top thing that come out of this is that the Australian people made it quite clear they're not mugs and that they want these issues fixed. So if you're going to spend money, we want clear outcomes where people got better health, they've got better education, they've got jobs, and their communities are safe. Yeah, very true. Like, you know, it's it's not as if we don't want that to happen. And there no. was an accusation throughout that debate that somehow white Australia don't don't want that to happen. That is absolutely not true. I, I've got to take a quick break. I want to come back and talk to you about the future of the Albanese government and also woke worths. I cannot believe we're still talking about it, but it's just gross. I'll come back with Warren Mundine right after a break here at TNT. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit because of immigration. I voted because of democracy, but millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNTradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. I've got Warren Mundine with me right now. I want to go and get a caller, if I may, Warren, who wants to talk about Penny Wong's trip to Israel. Go right ahead, Glenn. G'day, Chris. Happy New Year. Hello, Warren. G'day, mate. Mate, you are my hero. You're a Fernington Australian cover, and I'm absolutely crap that I get to say thank you very much for everything you did. You and Jacinta during the uh, referendum, mate, you're an absolute legend. Thanks a lot for that. I always wondered who that fan was, but yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lock. It's really appreciated. We're standing up for Australians. We're just sick and tired of the crap that goes on. Bernie Wong. Uh, they should keep her in Australia, Chris. She's a total embarrassment and she's an anti-Semitic. Why the hell would she <laughs> in the country? Yeah, what's that sound you've got behind you? Is that your two-way radio? Sorry, mate, I just had to turn the squawk box down on the, in the truck. Uh, yeah, Penny Wong, she, she, ever since she's come in there, remember that? She's the minister that he increased our payment to UNWA to $20 million a year, the, the UN body that uh, indoctrinates children. 
Palestinian children to murder Jews. Well, her position when it comes to Israel has been pretty clear, and now she's shown her true colours. Uh, uh, see, it wouldn't take her much. It would be a half an hour out of her schedule to turn up to one of those sites. Uh, but she does so because she doesn't want to overdo it for those that uh, support the Palestinians and have a long history of hatred towards the Israelis. That's why she's not doing it. It all comes down to Labor votes, mate. They're, they're as transparent as a window pane. They think they're, they're falling the Australian people. The Labor government has been nothing but shameful ever since this took off on October the 7th. And everything they've done in the UN, the Australian government, led by Albanese's Labor government, has caused me to... I'm ashamed to be Australian the way our government's carried on over this whole thing, Chris. Yeah, the, the fact that they couldn't send a warship into that convoy within the Red Sea, I, I just think is appalling. Like, you know, it's a symbol. If nothing else, it's just a symbol. But we could have... Don't tell me where that's that, you know, fraught uh, within the naval services that we can't afford to send one destroyer. Well, they said it was because we don't have the technology for drone oh. warfare. Well, drone, drone warfare seems to be the warfare of the future. Why yeah. the hell haven't we retrofitted the boat and send it. My wife asked me what we're going to do and I said we're sending up two dozen Boy Scouts with a couple of 12 foot ditties. Uh, yes, Glenn, thank you very much for your call. appreciate that. Front pages in News Corp papers right around the country yesterday, Warren Mundine had 80% of Australia damning the Prime Minister for not doing anything to relieve cost of living pressures. This is an election-losing sentiment, this stuff. When it comes to the economy, if you don't help the average battler, you're not worth two bob. Well, every election is, a, is about the economy. It's about people who, who want to know if they've got a job when they get up in the bed, up, out of bed in the morning. They want to know if they can pay their mortgage or pay their rent. They want to know how, if they can, you know, pay, you know, look after their kids and, and, and buy food and, and petrol and everything like that. Uh, it is... This is a really damning, uh, you know, uh, polling. Uh, I, I'm not going at this stage to say that they'll lose the next election because that uh, government since 1930 haven't really lost, uh, have always got a second term. But yep. I tell you, this government is damn determined not to get a second term the yes. way they're carrying on. And yeah. us poor people out there, you know, everyday Australians, the ones who are suffering because of this idiocy of this government, they got incompetent ministers and they got a leader who just disappears every now and again. Yeah, and they don't seem to be focused on the things that Australians are focused on. Certainly that's been the case in 2023, which brings me to Wokeworth's. And Aldi, Warren, no Australia Day for them, no merchandise being sold in those stores. And yet we've got this poll that's come out that says one in five want no want want a change to the date. Only one in five. If only one in five want a change to the date, what's Wokeworths and Aldi doing uh, getting rid of merchandise? Look, you said it earlier. They, these people are totally out of touch with the Australians. They're totally out of touch with the everyday working Australians that are out there, the people who are spending their money in their stores and, give, and keeping them keeping them in their, in their millionaire jobs that they've got. Uh, you know, I'm a massive supporter of, of, of the uh, workers who work in Coles and, and Aldi and Woolworths and all that, but what really 
um, that they're run by incompetent fools who hate this country. We saw what they did in the referendum and that we saw what they, and now they haven't learned a thing from it. That's what makes me laugh. They haven't learned a thing from it. Yeah, and that poll today showed them that they are very much off the mark. And, you know, where's this debate headed, Warren? It, it seems to begin well before Australia Day each and every year. And then all of a sudden we're starting to get the corporate world put their two bobs worth in. And I think Woolworths and Aldi will suffer because of this, Woolworths in particular. Um, I think they'll suffer financially. I noticed on Friday that their uh, share price went down by about 55 cents. Well, a lot of people that I know won't go anywhere near Woolworths again. Um, and people remember that stuff, don't they? Yep, they do. You know, and and Woolworth has really damaged its brand mm. badly. You know, it is. You know, it's not a, a simple thing. You know, close uh, about merchandise or anything like that. It was about their woke, di- di- diverse policies that they have. Instead of bringing Australians together, which is what Australia Day is about, because we've got a lot to celebrate in this country. We've got these magnificent migrants who've come here and worked hard since the Second World War and helped build the economy here. We've had had people who, uh, you know, come to Australia, some of them in chains, unfortunately, but they come here and they've helped build this country. We've got the Aboriginal culture and Aboriginal people here. But what are these these corporations doing? They're listening to a handful of people who who just hate this country. Yeah. And that's what they want to do. They just, just hate every day. I'm yeah. sick of them. I'm sick of them. Let's get on and celebrate the best things about Australia, and there's a hell of a lot of that. Now, just back to you again, I saw leadership qualities from you during the referendum that I thought were being wasted. Not that the referendum was not worth fighting for, but I thought, wouldn't this bloke make a fantastic federal minister? Have you had any approaches since or during the referendum about putting your hand up again for a seat either in the lower house or a seat maybe in the Senate? Uh, This uh, may surprise a lot of people, but I haven't had any formal approaches from anyone within the, the Liberal Party. Any informal approaches? None. I've had people who are members of the Liberal Party say, oh, we want you in Parliament, all the local branch members, and we've had, uh, you know, people, ordinary Australians out there. I've got so much fan mail coming in. I've got arthritis in my hand right <laughs> back to people. <laughs> but... Uh, well, see, there's there's another, you know, I don't want to bag the Liberal Party, but let's bag the Liberal Party. Here you are doing uh, a wonderful service for people, the majority of Australians who didn't want to vote on something they weren't sure about. Nothing wrong with that. Um, it wasn't about not wanting to do anything for Aboriginal people, anything but. But there you were doing the right thing. Now you've got a whole heap of fan mail. I get it here every time you come onto this program. And on previous programs that I worked at, I also got great positive feedback. The fact that the Liberal Party, which is in a a, um, a parlous state at the moment, the fact that they haven't approached you tells me more about them being off the mark than it tells me about your fit in the federal parliament, you would be the perfect minister for that party, and they need someone like you, Warren. They need you. Oh, thanks, thanks for that. I really appreciate that. But anyway, look, I'm going to assess things. I just got back from a holiday. Uh, I took a couple of weeks off with the wife and the, 
and one of our daughters, and we had a, a great relaxing time. As you can Good. see, I've got a suntan now, and a, and a bit. And, and this is not grey hair. This I dyed it blonde, <laughs> and, get, and some black hair come out too. But I, I'm getting ready for post uh, Australia Day. I want to celebrate Australia Day with the rest of Australians out there, and uh, and then I'm going to then we'll go from there. All right. You look after yourself. Great to catch up again, and we'll catch up throughout the year 2024. Thank you, mate. Good on you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Warren Mundine, great fella. And, look, I'm getting people on the chat box saying things about him as well. Isn't it silly? He should have been offered on four different occasions throughout that referendum when he stood up to those who were getting personal and handled it so professionally. He should have been offered positions in a party that was – um, you know, on its knees. It still is on its knees, which is one of the reasons why the Labor Party might have a second term. They're, they could be in a greater position if they picked up people like Warren Mundine, who are not only hard workers, but they know and they have an in, inherent ability to understand what the mob are thinking and what they prefer. That's him. That's him. And they sh they could use him. Um, and he's put his hand up before and he hasn't been successful, but that doesn't mean a thing. It depends on circumstances. It depends on the popularity of the federal party at the time. And it depends on the local members that are standing already and are the incumbents. Uh, it's, there are a lot of variations when it comes to standing for politics. Right now, though, the Liberal Party could do with the likes of Warren Mundine. Wake up to yourselves, if that's possible. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Today's News Talk Radio. I like hearing the news. news. A lot of news. TNT Radio News. Top of the hour, every hour. TNT. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel continues to sow terror among the trapped population in Gaza more than 100 days after invading the besieged territory. Voters in Taiwan have shrugged off warnings from Beijing and re-elected the island's ruling party, which rejects China's territorial claims. And after sending nearly $19 billion worth of military aid to Ukraine, Germany has conceded it has no idea where the weapons have ended up. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's News Talk, this is TNT Radio. Yeah, I, I, I misquoted there. I didn't get reaction from Warren on the chat box, but I did get a couple of emails from people saying, why isn't he ruling us? Why isn't he in leadership? And people ask obvious questions because they are obvious as to why he's not being approached. I don't get it. Um, the Upper House MP for Eastern Victoria also represents the Liberal Party. We love having her on on a Monday to start the week off. Renee Heath, MLC, welcome to the program once again. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm doing very well. I didn't get a chance to tune in to all that Danish royalty, the uh, elevation of Queen Mary of Tassie into the position of Queen of Denmark. Uh, did you get a chance to have a look? I didn't tune in, but I've kept an eye on it online, and I think it's a pretty incredible story that the Queen 
of Denmark was born in Australia. And I just think it's fantastic. She has such a warmth and grace and you can just tell she's just won the hearts of of the nation over there. And it really touched me to hear the former queen speak about her at her wedding, saying, you know, what it was that she brought to the country and she just hoped that that she worded it something like that um, they were all would always be worthy of her trust. And I think that's really beautiful. So I think, you know, one of our own has just been elevated to really world leadership and not because she was born into it. And I think there's a lesson for all of us there, you know, to just, it's so easy to say, oh, but they were born in this family. They've got this, they've got that. Yes. And I and think the, the lesson and- is put your best foot forward and and always aim to serve, I think. And the other lesson is that if you're looking for your own prince, go to the Slip Inn at Darling Harbour in Sydney (laughs) one night and look around. You never know. You could find the future king of Denmark in your presence. Well, that's exactly right. Although the odds have got to be lower now. Like I think (laughs) Mary's ruined it for the rest of us because it's going to (laughs) be I think. <laughs> Isn't it funny for those who don't know, and especially if you're listening from the United States. So a real estate agent from Sydney walks into a bar, and this is not a joke. It's actually a true story. Walks into a bar. It's a very meagre bar. We're not talking about uh, something associated with a hotel chain or something that's glittering, very dark. It, matter of fact, very dingy. And it's on a very busy part of the Western side of the CBD in Sydney. She walks into the bar and who happened to be at the bar was a fellow by the name of Frederick. Um, I don't know who picked up who, um, but anyway, they got they got talking as a, a single woman and a single man do sometimes in those circumstances. What he was doing in Australia, I've forgotten, but anyway. So then they got talking and they started to go out and then in between all of that, he happened to mention to her that he was a, um, a prince. But cut a long story short, there she is becoming the Queen of Denmark. What a story, eh? A real-life fairy tale. So there you go. (laughs) Fantastic. All right, more shocking news about how the Victorian Labor government loves to mishandle taxpayer funds. And if I was a Victorian taxpayer, I'd be up at arms at this. They hand Tennis Australia $63 million. And it's not like as if Tennis Australia is on the seat of its backside. Yes, they did it hard during COVID, but so did everyone. And so did all the charities, of course, who couldn't hold a single function so they could make money. But this is just before they came up with a bank balance of $62 million in profit. Now, they may not have mentioned that to the government, but the government could have asked. So here we have Tennis Australia uh, profiting to the tune of $62 million, but we've got to hand out $63 million to them because, you know, everyone's doing it so badly during COVID. What brainiac blew that cash, Renee? Well, this is another example of Labor's inability to manage money. And what's even more alarming here is that the government tried to hide it from the Victorian taxpayer. So we only know about the $63 million payment because the opposition leader's office found out through a freedom of information exercise. So what else do we not know? And Victorians deserve to know what the money is being spent on because it's their money. money. And I think this highlights that Labor has forgotten this fundamental truth that there is no such thing as government money. There is only taxpayer money. And at the moment, Victorians are the most highly taxed people in Australia. We're living through a cost of living crisis. These two things alone should make the government stop and strengthen their financial discipline 
So the taxpayer can actually be sure that their dollar is worth something. But we have just seen an abandonment of all restraint. And now it's considered normal for this government to blow out projects by millions, if not billions of dollars, while the average Victorian suffers. So this is not good enough. And I just would like to remind Victorians to remember this at the ballot box, because this is your money. It's not government money. It is your money. So I absolutely support the Australian Open. It is a Victorian icon. I love going to the Australian Open. And this isn't about them. What this is an issue of is the transparency of the government and what they are doing with your money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a symbol of what they were doing with people's money. It's a symbol. If they're prepared to give an organisation that's just about to announce a $62 million profit, $63 million, what else have they peed up against the wall? Um, Pardon the pardon the French. What like seriously? You're exactly right. That's what we know. What don't we know? What have they hidden? What have they kept from the the Victorian taxpayer? Uh, I, I don't think I want to know. Like seriously. Now yeah. Frankston Mayor Nathan Conroy has won liberal endorsement for the federal seat of Dunkley in Melbourne southeastern suburbs. Uh, this is going to be one of those midterm migraines for the prime minister. I think. I think it absolutely will be. Nathan is a fantastic guy and he's a very strong candidate. So he has served over two years as the Frankston City Council's mayor. And that's just an example of how capable and how trusted he is. So he has worked in that community. He has worked hard for years and he's got a proven track record. So yes, I think it is a bit of a migraine for for Albo. And I'm not sure if you saw the polling in the Herald Sun over the weekend, but it showed that 80% of Australians believe that Albo has failed to address the cost of living crisis. And I was listening to Warren Mundine, who I just think is an absolutely outstanding person before this. And it just reminded me that, um, that Albo has a lot of big ideas, but he's out of touch with the everyday Australian. And we saw that through the referendum, like what Warren was just talking about, and we've seen it in other areas. So Dunkley has a high level of mortgage stress, a high level of working class Australians, and I'd say a high level of dissatisfaction with the current Prime Minister. And Nathan is somebody who understands these issues. He is very capable. He's known in the electorate. He um, would have no problem talking about the cost of living crisis. He grew up in public, uh, sorry, social housing himself. And he is somebody who is not afraid to get in there and to fight for the community. So I think, you know, there's a huge shift, I believe, that's taken place. I think the failed referendum just showed that Australians are sick of this division. They're sick of people that are, you know, that are just playing politics. We need to see policies that actually affect people's lives and make, you know, make them able to prosper again. Yeah, and I said to Warren in that chat there that that poll indicates to me that this is a government that is doing all it can to lose an election and become a one-term wonder because one of the things you've got to do when you're in government is to make sure that people don't hurt in the back pocket. If you yeah. move away from that, they will punish you. And I don't think there's a single thing that mob has done. As a matter of fact, you could probably argue fairly confidently that they've done everything but bring down inflation by upping certain sectors' wages. That's increased inflation. And there are other things that they've done. They haven't given a damn about 
the number one concern that Australians had in 2023, which was how much hurt they were feeling through the cost of living. All they wanted to talk about was a damn voice referendum. And you know what? This just goes to show that politicians in general, not just federal politicians, state politicians, are completely out of touch with what it is that the average Victorian goes through. And I've spoken about this in Parliament before. The average um, wage in Victoria is $75,000. The average, the starting wage when you become a politician is just shy of $200,000. So I believe that one of the reasons that politicians are not doing anything about the cost of living crisis is because it doesn't even come near to touching them. But as the average Australian and the average Victorian is hurting, and these are things we've just got to, you know, get away from this self-centred virtue signalling politics and get back to what actually matters to people. Yeah. Just like councils need to look after roads, rubbish and rates and Mm. not international um, petitions for the release of Palestinians, They've got to do the same at the federal level. They've got to pinpoint what they could do to make it easier for Australians to get by. Now, that's exactly what the Albanese government did not do during 2023, and right now they are very much on the nose. Let's talk about about Australia Day. Um, Only one in five Australians want to change the date of Australia Day. Now, if... Wokeworths and Aldi had have known or seen the results of that poll before making decisions to not sell merchandise for Australia Day. I wonder whether they would have gone through with that decision because that tells me that the people of Australia are right and that Wokeworths and Aldi are so woke they'll go broke. Well, I just think that it's strange that big business and corporates see it as their role to educate the masses. When I go to the supermarket, do you know what I want to do? I want to buy groceries. (laughs) It shouldn't be a political exercise. So while they are giving Australians unsolicited advice, I'm going to give them some unsolicited advice. And how about they stop telling us how to live and they start getting their prices under control. So grocery bills are going through the roof and our supermarket chains are recording enormous profits despite the cost of living crisis. And our supermarket, cha- our su- supermarket chains seem to be so preoccupied with being political mm. and appeasing activists. And yeah. it, is, it is really beginning to irritate Australians. And I think they should have learnt their lesson after the voice re- referendum. So in terms of Australia Day, though, yes, 20% or it's less than 20%, may want the date changed, but I just don't think it'll fix anything. And I have often spoken about reconciliation. I have such a heart to see people from all different walks of life come together. I believe that there's nothing more powerful than when people from different backgrounds connect and they begin to realise that their way isn't the only way and they realise that there's actually a lot of dignity in our difference. I think that's actually when life becomes a lot richer and a lot better is when we realise that people, you know, they might look different, they might have different customs to us, but we go past that and we hold their hand in friendship anyway. So in, in my maiden speech, I spoke about this. I said, I do not believe that reconciliation will happen because of a directive from above. 
It won't happen because a date is changed. It won't happen even because a policy is changed. But it actually happens in hearts and homes around around Australia. And that is something that every single one of us will have to take responsibility for because it's easy to say, oh, change the date, invasion day. It's easy to do these things. But what that actually does, it is actually causing more and more division. But when we can actually sit at the table, and there's that famous saying, sitting at the table of brotherhood, where you sit with people that are different, you build these relationships over time, that is actually extremely powerful. And it's all of our responsibility. And I think, again, I've, we've spoken about it a little bit today for some reason, but we saw this during the referendum. It was during that time I found that it was an extremely divisive time. I didn't like it. I spoke a lot about, you know, my, um, my opposition to The Voice. I spoke about it because I thought that it wasn't the answer. It was causing more division. Yeah. And what I found there is people deeply care about Indigenous affairs, mm. but they don't want policies and activities that are going to divide us further. So there is a gap that needs to be closed. And as silly as this might sound and as simplistic as this might sound, the only way to close the gap is actually by becoming closer. It sounds obvious, but all of these, all of these campaigns that people go on, all of these um, activist causes they're actually widening the gap because they're saying, well, this is us, this is them, you're over here, you're over here. But what we've actually got to do is come together as one, as Australians, to the table of brotherhood, I believe, and that's powerful. That is an inspiration. And, and I, I don't, I'm not making fun of I think you have been inspirational in the way you have explained it. And I would have thought the Prime Minister at the time, instead of ordering a referendum that cost us about $450 million, would have done a whole heap more for Indigenous Australians by, I guess, saying something along the lines of what you have just explained there about putting responsibility in the hands of every individual in the country to reach out to those who are Indigenous and vice versa and change the culture, make us all one, as, yeah. opposed, as opposed to having a referendum and trying to solve it all. That is an inspirational thought. You've got to keep that thought and you've got to echo those thoughts over and over again, not just in a maiden speech. Well said. Thank you. Thanks. Great stuff. Yeah. It's really a 180 before we move on from that, and I know there is always timeframes, but it's a 180 from what I believe every person that when you really think of reconciliation, the benchmark, was Martin Luther King Jr., who spoke about how the the benchmark of reconciliation is not being judged by the colour of your skin, but who you are on the inside. And that's something that I hope we never forget. It's his official day um, yesterday in the United States. Well, for the uh, East Coast, that's gone, but the West Coast still in Sunday uh, date. It is still his day today. So isn't that funny that you talk wow. about him? Amazing. You've got great stuff. I'll let you go. Thank you so much for your time. Great to catch up again. Have a great week. You too. Thanks so much. Bye now. No problem. Renee Heath, MLC for the Liberal Party in the Upper House of Victoria. But isn't that so well said? He could have saved $450 million just by reaching out to Australians in a public address about helping each other, about doing all we can and doing a lot more than what we do, both mutually as opposed to having referendums that'll somehow solve the problems 
of those who were disadvantaged in the Indigenous world. Inspirational stuff, I thought, and uh, I meant it. This is Chris Smith on TNT. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids, and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March, and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through, and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador, so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my licence, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. When a crisis hits, close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines, ready to serve, healing, nurturing, rescuing, protecting, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations has never been more important, and it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you, the Nonprofit Alliance. The voice of a changing world, Chris Smith, on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I know that the uh, former ASIC boss was less than complimentary about the Prime Minister and what he had to say about uh, a Senate inquiry into the supermarket giants. Um, there was a, a story that he wrote in the Sydney Morning Herald, which I'm telling you now has gone missing. I wonder whether someone has been misquoted or someone has been unhappy with the story, uh, maybe from the Prime Minister's office. I don't know. I'll try and get to the bottom of that because that is really interesting. I saw it this morning. And given the fact that we mentioned supermarkets with both Warren and Renee in Australia Day, I thought I'll go back on that story that I saw in the uh, Sydney Morning Herald this morning, it was a uh, quite a story about the fact that the Prime Minister has got it wrong, um, but it's just gone missing on the website, vanished into thin air. So someone has obviously been unhappy with what has been written and maybe the editor has pulled it. I think that may be the case. I'm going to go in search of an answer uh, because I can't see it anywhere. As a matter of fact, where I did keep it. And then when I opened the link to go to that same story, um, it says we can't find the page you asked for. Isn't that curious? Isn't that curious? Either what he has had to say wasn't appreciated by the former ASIC boss, or maybe something that was said by him was inaccurate or wasn't appreciated by the Prime Minister, and it's been pulled for one of those two reasons. Fascinating. I've got to get to the bottom of and I so will. I've got very little time left, but I do want to talk about a couple of quick things, including um, Australian politicians across the political divide 
have launched a last-ditch bid to prevent Julian Assange from being extradited to the United States to face espionage charges as the WikiLeaks founder faces a crucial final leg challenge in Britain next month. It's not too far away. The four co-conveners of the cross-party Bring Julian Assange Home Parliamentary Group wrote to British Home Secretary James Cleverly arguing for an urgent review of Assange's case. Now, this was in light of a judgment in the Supreme Court of the UK back in November, striking down Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's controversial plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. On February 20 and 21, two British High Court judges will review an earlier ruling that refused Assange permission to appeal his extradition order. This is expected to be his final bid to prevent being sent to the United States. Now, Assange faces decades in prison over his role in the publication of US classified files and diplomatic cables relating to the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, according to Assange's brother, Gabriel Shipton, if he loses in the UK courts next month, he could be extradited to the US within 24 hours. So this is literally a do or die scenario for Julian. Now, Assange's lawyer, Jeff Jennifer Robinson, who's been with him right from the beginning, by the way, has argued he was at high risk of suicide if the High Court rejects his final appeal, saying Assange was so mentally unwell that he would be unlikely to survive extradition. Liberal MP Bridget Archer, Labor MP Josh Wilson, Independent MP Andrew, A Andrew Wilkie and Green Senator David Shoebridge wrote in their letter to Cleverly, we are deeply concerned that the legal proceedings involving Mr Assange will now continue, first in the United Kingdom and then in the US, if extradition is ordered and consented to by you. This would add yet another more years to Mr Assange's detention and further imperil his health. To this end, we are requesting that you undertake an urgent, thorough and independent assessment of the risks to Mr Assange's health and welfare in the event he is extradited to the United States. Now, that is interesting. But more interesting than that, as Home Secretary Cleverly is one of the government's most powerful ministers presiding over law enforcement, um, the MPs argued in their letter that the judge's reasoning in the Rwanda Supreme Court case, which found it was illegal for Britain to send asylum seekers to Rwanda, clearly has direct relevance to the extradition proceedings involving Julian Assange. This is the first time this has been raised. The decision found that courts in the United Kingdom cannot just rely on third-party assurances by foreign governments, but rather are required to make independent assessments of the risk of persecution to individuals before any order is made, removing them from the UK. So as you can see, there is some kind of connection between what the judge came up with in the Ramanda immigration case uh, in late 2023 and the case of Julian Assange. Now, it may be tenuous, but there is a link. And that is the link that was included in this letter by these Australian politicians to Cleverly. So maybe there is something more than just this court case coming up next February. Maybe there is a possibility that the Tory minister could intervene 
along the lines of the decision made by the Supreme Court about the Rwanda immigration case. Uh, it's a rather long-winded and complex kind of legal matter, but as you can say, as you can see, there are two prospects for Julian Assange at this stage. They're minute, they're tenuous, but they're prospects nonetheless. And that's what he needs right now. I've run out of time. I had so much more to tell you about, but um, we uh, had so much to get through today. It is a a busy start to 2024. And this is the place to stay with right here on TNT. Dean Mackin coming up next.